You're listening to 1001 Album Club, where each episode we discuss a different album from Robert Demery's book, 1001 Albums, and it's here before you die. This episode, we'll be talking about Steely Dan, Asia. On the line, I have Rob. Oh, yeah. Ben. Perk. John. All in and Kyle. Hi there. Asia is the sixth studio album by the American rock, jazz rock band Steely Dan. It was released in September 1977 on ABC Records. The producer was Gary Katz, and the genre is jazz rock, yacht rock, and pop rock. I'm going to read from All Music Reviews, Stephen Thomas Irwine. Steely Dan hadn't been a real working band since Pretzel Logic, but with Asia, Walter Becker, and Don Fagan's obsession with sonic detail and fascination with composition reached new heights. A coolly textured and immaculately produced collection of sophisticated jazz rock, Asia has none of the overt cynicism or self-consciously challenging music that distinguished previous Steely Dan records. Instead, it's a measured and textured album filled with subtle melodies and accomplished jazzy solos that blend easily into the lush instrumental backdrops. But Asia isn't just about texture since Becker and Fagan's songs are their most complex and musically rich. Even the simplest song, The Sunny Pop of Peg, has layers of jazzy vocal harmonies. In fact, Steely Dan ignores rock on Asia, preferring to fuse cool jazz, blues, and pop together in a seamless, seductive fashion. It's complex music delivered with ease, and although the duel's preoccupation with clean sound and self-consciously sophisticated arrangements would eventually lead to a dead end, Asia is a shining example of jazz rock at its finest. All right, what do we think of Steely Dan, Asia? Guys, I want to be on this boat. Yeah, yeah. Steely Dan's going to make me eat my words. <laughs> <laughs> I, Wait, what? Say it! Say I've it. given Steely Dan so much shit. Were you against it, Steely Dan? Oh yeah. yeah. I, oh, yeah. I do not like Steely Dan. <laughs> what? <Yeah>. No. <laughs> but I get it. Like I, I it was like on second listen uh, of Asia and it, it it clicked. I get I get it now and I want to get on this boat. <laughs> get me on the boat. <laughs> it seems like a really clean, well-made boat. <laughs> Wait, do you guys like this or are you just missing boats in 2020? <laughs> I don't know. Yes. I don't know. Yes, boat. <laughs> I think but a no, bit of both. So I'll yeah. be, I'll talk about it. My hate of Steely Dan or dislike for what they're doing. I don't, I don't, I don't discount them as musicians. I think they're very accomplished and very, you know, 
good musicians. It's the light, airy, no edge, uh, rock and roll sort of soft rock. It's, it's plush. It's plush rock. This album, however, when I was listening to it this week, this is a very strange time for me because I, I'm upgrading some of my audio equipment too. And I got headphones and then the headphone amp and I'm, you know, trying to stream everything in lossless quality and hear all the nuances of, of everything we're going through. And this album is one of the most immaculate albums I've <laughs> ever heard. Yes. Yes. It blew me away because I was like, you know, I could put it on the like headphone box of being like, I hate Steely Dan. And this made me love like Asia's recording. It's it's unbelievable. How, and how Asia was recorded live, like not like in front of an audience, but like it was recorded live. Yep. Yeah. That's just, crazy. I I I can't believe the performances on this this album. It's it's so meticulous and so detailed. It's it's incredible. I mean, a lot of people had said that or they self-admitted that they got other players to play the parts that were in their heads because even they couldn't perfect that to that level. It's unbelievable. The players on this album not only is it like a, a who's who of legendary like LA players, but they were going through them by the, by the handfuls and like having other people take over their parts. Like it was like a, you'd show up on a day of recording and they'd have just this killer band of very notable players. You show up the next day and it's everyone's been replaced with a new killer band of very notable players. Like the, they, it was their seventh guitar player they hired to play on peg that got that solo that you hear on peg and all of the other six, are no slouches you know? <laughs> like, are very in demand guitar players just soloing their hearts out for <laughs> for becker and fagan you know? i can't imagine being invited to you know to the studio and the, and you like look at the list and you look at the lineup and it's like oh there's eight other you know maybe they weren't there at the same time but oh you mean all these other studio guns are playing the same song the same solo like it's a <laughs> It's a almost like a process of elimination of like, well, we're just going to take the best part, best of everything, you know, creme de la creme. Yeah. Said nearly yeah. 40 musicians, 40 musicians. Like I can't, I mean, I've, I got into this band kind of early. Um, I mean, my early twenties, but yeah, the idea that they would just bring all these musicians in and, and switch them out and take this part and take that part and do it live. I mean, without pro tools or anything back then, I mean, it's, it's a staggering feat and like, I can understand. I totally understand why a lot of people don't like this band. You know, I mean, even aside from it being, uh, you know, dad rock or yacht rock, you know, you know, a lot of people might say there's no integrity to having a band and then just bringing in any session musician you can find off the street and, and that they're in your band and they're on your record. You know, I can see, you know, being uh, adverse to that, but this record guys like, yeah, just listen to yeah. listen to the record with your headphones on though <laughs> well yeah. i mean I, I guess what is it i don't was it fagan who wrote a good port, part of the guitar lines and is like this is what the guitar line is we just have to find the person who can play it fagan's you know? keys becker's guitar oh sorry so becker's writing that line in peg and you know i'm not a guitarist so i don't understand you know exactly the complexity of it but apparently it's written in such a fashion that it's just really hard to play the the i guess the open spread of notes between what he's got laid down and it's just 
really, really hard. But when you hear it on peg, it sounds great. I mean, it doesn't sound like, you know, uh, shredding harmonies on like an Iron Maiden song, which I could understand as complex, but it's apparently very technically difficult. Yeah. Um, the, the big thing is how, Oh, oh sorry. Sorry. The, the big thing is how clean everything is like, there's no distortion on any of this. So every single note has to be there or it'll like stick out like a sore thumb. Like, so these, you know, really complex jazz solos are just like, they're out in the front and with the most immaculate mix of of all time, like I don't know, it's it, it it's like a you know what this does remind me of. Um, it reminds me of that uh, Daft Punk record that came out. Uh, Ram. Get the fucking what random was it, Ram? access memories. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like it, it has that. Uh, yeah. I, I, it wouldn't surprise me if some of these players, if they were still alive, were playing on that record as well. Um, <laughs> I think uh, Dion Warwick's band was on that one, uh, her backing band, which I'm sure some of these other. Anyway, sorry, uh, uh, off topic. Uh, so we're so, so we're at that drum solo in uh, Asia. <laughs> so fucking good. It's it's very good. It's a wonderful <laughs> drum solo, and it's so clean. So clean. Yeah. It's like yeah. the tastiest like jazz fills and jazz licks just like just going clean as a whistle around the drums and all this like syncopation on the hi-hat and the kick drum it's just so tasty it's like snack crackers (laughs) it's see they're making me eat my words again because i am on record for i like drum fills but not drum solos but i think what saves this solo for me uh i mean having it played by steve gadd definitely helps uh and the, the solo itself is it's so it's rhythmic and it's dynamic and it's musical. And not only that, but the the rest of the band just hitting those syncopated hits like bop, 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 keep the tempo going, like the momentum going. It's not like a drum solo where like everything drops out and then and it's just the, the drummer playing so many fills that you don't even know where the beat is anymore. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's a drum interlude, if you will. I mean, it's still yeah. soloing in in a it's way. It's a drum feature. It's a feature. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, because you still have horns going over it. The band's not, you know, it's not a strictly solo, but man, yeah, it's it's a very it's an interesting combination how they work and weave their way into the sort of like fusion element of jazz rock, uh, of this sort of light. I don't know, light pop or I don't even pop. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, jazz pop rock in a way, but like good. Yeah. Yeah. All those (laughs) words together should be the worst, but somehow it makes sense. Like anchovy, white chocolate, strawberry, like, okay, well it works. I don't know why. (laughs) Yeah. I will say like anytime I'm, I'm driving around to a a, a different uh, city or state and I'm like listening to the rock radio stations and I hear like the intro to Josie, like I just get so excited, like because <laughs> I know what's to come. Like you know, laying you know, down the lawn, you know. breaking it. <laughs> and so now we're on the second drum solo of Asia, uh, which doesn't have the horn over it. I like at, at the very end, we just goes into that samba on the bell of the ride cymbal, and then Ooh. just kind of fades out on that groove. Yeah, Ben it's shared like, a, a video t- with everybody about a uh, so 
some nerd just getting really excited about the drumming on this. <laughs> yeah, and it's Rick, very enthusiastic. Enthusiasm. Rick Beato, man. Wait. That dude fucking rules. Yeah. I've never seen his videos before. He was so excited. I thought he was and a little too excited. Stick click, he was saying, like, it's never been done, and it will never be done again. <laughs> Calm down. I mean, there's, there's drum solos after this, but, like, a serious jazz drum solo of that caliber in the middle of a soft pop song. There, okay. I can't think. I can't think of another one. Okay, that that might be a little different. Yeah, I was gonna say there's there's been plenty of of drummers uh, hitting that. It's um it's interesting. This album confuses my brain because it is <laughs> it is very like light, and I'm like, no, why would why would this work? And then for some reason, it's it's one of those movies or. Yeah, albums that you just you're like, actually, you know what? It somehow they made it work. It feels robotic in a weird way, but that's okay. It, it, Everything's okay on the boat, man. In the, in the 90s, I listened to, well, and still, I listened to a lot of hip-hop, and the opening track is Black Cow, and it comes out with that just, like, funk bass and drums, and that was sampled by Lord Treak and Peter Guns on, like, a 97 hit called Deja Vu, Uptown Baby. It was, like, their one hit, but it was a big banger for me, like, in college on the dance floor. Like, I love that song. Like, I was all over that, and then there's a sample for... Um, uh de la soul i know from peg and like so having the album for me start off with like oh that hip-hop sample just pulled me right in and i stayed with it like there's <laughs> there's tasty sound nuggets through the whole thing and you're right even though those nuggets are so tasty it is so light this album is so light and so soft like but it's okay because there's so much other good stuff in there you can't like it's hard to 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 rectify those two sides of your brain where it's like, this is dentist music. And then the other side's like, but listen to that funk bass or listen to that little sample there. Like listen to that tiny, like interesting thing they're doing on the hi-hat, like just little bits. And it's, oh, it's so clean. Oh, I, I do feel like this one has that slight edge that some of the others, I, I don't know why I keep saying edge, but may I think. They rock a little bit. They're very round. <laughs> it's a perfect circle. Asia, the song, it has that tasty drum fill, right? So Deacon Blues has that line about being like, drink scotch wh whiskey and die behind the wheel. You know, it's like just this, it's just giving me things that I'm like, yeah, that's cool. I want that. Like, I want these little elements that they're providing in this album that, that makes me accept the the sort of go along with it you know it's it's like not just singing love songs or something i know they yeah. don't, they don't typically do that but 
it's it's just giving me enough to to go back to and listen to and re-listen to um, and want to re-listen to because it has those subtle elements to it that I think they they perfected it. They did it. Yeah, Deacon Blues was a was a hook for me uh, when I first got into Steely Dan. Like, just uh, I mean, the lyrics hooked me. The lyrics don't aren't usually the first thing you think of of Steely Dan, but Deacon Blues, like, <laughs> I don't know. There's just something alluring about about the lyrics and and the juxtaposition with the music. Yeah, they're tongue in cheek, but at the same yeah. time, they it, it, there's a darkness there. There's something yeah. that's it's like, like a, it's like a loser's anthem, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. It's yeah. If Alabama's got the Crimson Tide. Comedy can blues. <laughs> right. I got a word for the winners in the world. I want something for the losers. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He's a wiener who's thinking about being like, you know, he's idolizing being a saxophone player who yeah. <laughs> drinks and drives. Like, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> Those are achievable goals. Yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say, well, we're listening to Deacon Blues right now. And are any of you guys, there's a song on the self-titled album by the band, like the brown one with the black and white uh, photo on the cover, uh, Unfaithful Servant, on side two of the album, and Garth Hudson's horn horn arrangement on that, where it's just kind of like this sad, slumping like horn line. They're in the verse, in like the second half of the verse of Deacon Blues, uh, there's that same, it's like almost the same chords and the same effect. And I don't, I don't know if anyone else hears it, but I just every time I hear the part in Deacon Blues, I think of Unfaithful Servant by the band. Yeah, I could see that. That's a very fair comparison. It has a bit of the same sort of uh, melancholy singing, a melancholy sort of a melody. Yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. I thought it was interesting, too, the the um, reading about this album and to Steely Dan in general is how precise the the singing was, how precise they wanted the vocalization of the lyrics. I hadn't really thought about that um, till till we got more into them, but I, that's that's an interesting approach because obviously their lyrics are abstract, obtuse um, in a way, and and the hearing those things pronounced a certain way, you start picking up more and more. I think it's very apparent on this album. Other albums, I think it quite a bit, but this one seems again, it's that detail that there's something about this album that the the detail is just astounding. I agree. It's kind of like when you try to sing a hollow note song at karaoke, (laughs) you realize how difficult it is, like about 45 seconds into the song. (laughs) Is that, is that part of the yacht rock is the, the, pronunciation or the I would say saxophone I, I'm just, I was trying to put it into words because obviously this album is considered one of the progenitors or if not the you know start creation you know something to be the flag if you will of yacht rock uh it's definitely got to be light and breezy yeah light and breezy so nothing clean, clean. okay mm-hmm. saxophone helps yeah mm-hmm. yep in harmonies, probably harmonies. Yeah, okay. some some yeah. slight maybe island or Latin rhythms somewhere in there. Ah, good call. <laughs> References to alcohol and women in the lyrics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, Michael McDonald. Oh yeah, if Michael <laughs> McDonald shows up, oh, just boy. Michael McDonald <laughs> on the boat. Eight, 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 <laughs> <brother>. Yeah. <laughs> so we have to talk about Michael McDonald now, right? 
We got to yeah. talk about Peg. Please, yeah. Dude, let's. And Peg's just about to start in her headphones too. So <laughs> side two, track one, banger. It needs that the is role. where you put the banger. Was he also on uh, Home at Last? Yes. Yeah. Wait, okay. no, no, he's on. I got the news. Oh, yeah. Sorry, my bad. Tell me about Peg. Uh, so I also like John. First heard Peg as the sample from uh, I know. I like the song Peg a lot. In fact. The song Peg's been stuck in my head all week. But I think what it is was I had never before, I'd only listened to the song passively, like if it was on the radio or just playing in whatever line at the bank I was in. Uh, vocal, vocals that come in on the chorus, they're just, they're playing that guy like an organ. Like, yep. <laughs> and you can't just, unhear just, it. Just full Michael McDonald chords, just like thick chords of Michael McDonald's very distinct voice and yeah kyle i can't unhear it every time i hear that song everything else drops out when the chorus kicks in and i just hear <laughs> and, and every morning this week when i wake up that is the first thing that comes into my mind it's like back to you foreign movie <laughs> all in 3d <laughs> and i'm i'm not sick of it yet the, the the Michael McDonald chorus that's just been bouncing around my brain nonstop this this whole week. So there was a BBC series called Classic Albums. Um, they're like hour long episodes. They aired about twenty years ago. Um, there's a really good one about like Fleetwood Mac's uh, rumors. Uh, but they did one for this record that's really good, where they interview uh, Michael McDonald <laughs> right after they recorded these vocals, and he looks shell shocked. Like, I think they, they prodded him a lot. Like, Wait, you, have you seen an interview with Michael McDonald from, like, the 70s on it? I mean, it might have been the same interview. I haven't seen the, the material. The one, that, he he, he looked like Kenny Rogers. Yeah, he, he, he's white-haired Michael McDonald. In the yeah, white-haired. Yeah, checks. Yeah. Oh, well, then I think it was from, like, 20 years ago. Because he had brown hair in the 70s. Intriguing. Well, like, you know when you talk to an old man about, like, their experience in the war, you know? And they're like, oh, well, what was it like um, in the trenches? You know, he's, he's oh, he went trauma. back there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he was, was like, he's right there him. again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, like, because Michael McDonald. I mean, okay, so you take the guys in Steely Dan and the like level of precision that they apply to their players, but there's only one Michael McDonald. You can't have another Michael McDonald. You can't have eight guys go before him. Like Michael McDonald's got to bear all the weight of being Michael McDonald. Yeah, if you can't have eight Michael McDonald's, you need to create eight Michael McDonald's. At least so three. Could <laughs> we have three. used that uh, synthesizer that they used on Low to make uh, Michael McDonald <laughs> sing simultaneously in seven different... Oh, oh the, the harmonizer? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. In hindsight, they probably could have. <laughs> Not really, though, because if you, can, if you listen closely, you can hear the different intonations... Um, with his vibrato, oh. he does vibrato on some of them, and he does it oh. straight on others. So they're slightly, slightly different in in harmony, whereas a harmonizer would just copy it. Yeah, uh, not only that, uh, but a harmonizer, you know, you could set it to like a third or a fourth, but it would it would then just copy whatever he's saying and, and singing and play it to like a third or a fourth. What we what we have is at least three different Michael McDonalds singing at least three different you know, counter melodies that create this harmony, yeah. you know, they're, they're weaving around in there. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. 
Jazz chords. Jazz chords. <laughs> With jazz chords on your Michael McDonald organ. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, I want I want like the Michael McDonald Mellotron. Yes. <laughs> I can just like play these like, Michael McDonald chords. That would be my instrument of choice. Oh, <laughs> oh my goodness. You hear us, Casio? Make a Michael McDonald noise. <laughs> set it, yeah, set it as Michael, a preset. I want a Michael McDonald patch that's just him saying peg. <laughs> I should, I'm sure it's out there. I want the that. peg patch? Yes. Yes. Berg. Berg. <laughs> So is Gaucho uh, also on this 1001 album list? I would imagine. Right? I don't yeah. know. I'm just saying, yeah, back when I got into this record, I also had Gaucho. I had both on tape and I drove around listening to them in my car. <laughs> <laughs> I love the idea of like, how old were you, Kyle, when you were when you were playing these in your car? Just about 21. Yeah. 21 year old Kyle just cruising through college towns, blasting <laughs> Steely Dan. <laughs> I was uh, high on anti-anxiety medication and pot. Oh shit! Now that that like lines right up though. Like, yeah, that makes uh, this. Uh, sorry. Like Steely Dan though. Remember you didn't like ABBA, Ben? Yeah, yeah. I'm still huh. not a fan of ABBA. Huh. Hey, you, you go wait. back and you listen to that album. You tell me if that album is perfect all the way through. Which one? Yeah. Arrival. Arrival. Oh no! Yeah, Arrival's absolutely perfect. Arrival's great. Are you? It's great. Dumb dumb. <laughs> what? Excuse are, me. Are you just ask me if I was no, a dumb dumb. No, the song, the dumb dumb diddle. Not calling you dumb, a dumb dumb diddle. Oh yeah, I don't care. For that one. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I miss. I misspoke. The visitors is the one that I'm really into. Arrival's not perfect. Voulez-vous kind of guy, personally. And any any way you slice it, any ABBA album is not as acoustically clean and precise as this album. Which is That's surprising, because they're they're pretty great at doing that. Do you think everybody in ABBA was like listening to this record and biting their nails and being like, <laughs> uh, "We will not get any more Steely Dan. This is the last Steely Dan in the book." Oh well. Oh okay, thanks. Asia. And on a high note, yeah. <laughs> it's the culmination. The rhythm to the song, the drum beat, is what you would call a purdy shuffle. Uh, it's like kind of like the drum beat that you hear in like the Toto song Rosanna or sure, yeah. a myriad of other songs. Yeah. Uh, this is Bernard Purdy doing a Purdy shuffle, though. So this is this is the Purdy shuffle straight from the source because it's Steely Dan. <laughs> <laughs> God, I, I watched this a video today of Bernard Purdy walking you through the Purdy shuffle and it was a delight to watch. He's. So charming, and he's giddy. He he like chuckles to himself while he's telling you about the drums. And the video is about like seven minutes long, and from like two seconds in, he gets a beat going. And through the seven minutes, he's talking to you. He's playing different things. He's playing like different feels. But that, that original beat that he starts at two seconds in never drops. It's like he's just got this metronome going on. He can go through, yeah, like, uh, like different time signatures, different ways to feel a beat, and also be lecturing you. And that beat just stays so solid through the whole thing. It's crazy. And then he and he's just like, like rocking back and forth on his kick stool uh, on his drum throne, and just like chuckling to himself and stuff. It's like it's just it's just ingrained in that dude. <laughs> awesome. Can I can I say one more thing about this record? Is I feel like no. <laughs> yes. Fucking raw. I'm going to sing every song on this record in your face. <laughs> um, 
I mean, looking at the, the the archival footage of these these musicians uh, speaking about this process and and Fagan and everybody, it seems like there's there's no ego, you know, like there's no. Okay, I see. I see visually disagree- disagreeing with me, Perch. <laughs> but I feel like there's this this kind of uh, we're going to bring in the best people. If your cut doesn't make it, that's fine. Here's what I'm doing. You guys disagree? I feel like it's very egalitarian. I think. Uh... Yeah, I think it takes a lot to say I I mean, it takes some somebody with it's it takes someone with an ego to pull in all those people, but it also takes okay. someone without an ego to say I'm not going to play myself because I know what I want to hear and I can't even do that. So it has it has a I feel like it's a it has both. It's it's a, they want it perfect and they're willing to do whatever it takes in that egotistical way but they're also like holding back a little bit. Okay. My opinion. I just think, I think of when you, when you look back at like Pink Floyd records and they talk about the making of them and everyone's like, you motherfucker, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> and here everybody's just like, yeah, you came in and you did this part. It was good. So we used it. Well, everyone's a hired gun. They've got, they've got no skin in the game. They're paid for their time, whether or not the track is used or not. And you know, and, and if it sells a million copies or if it sells five copies, you know, that like uh, there's a contractor coming in doing their time. And I'm sure there is I'm sure there's competition and ego among the different studio guns. But at the end of the day, you know, they're hired to do a job. So it doesn't really have that creative artistic ego of someone who is like a full fledged songwriting member of a band, you know? Yeah, I could see this that. One's for real. say this uh won the grammy for best engineered record and it also uh, of 1978 uh and it also received the grammy nominations for uh album of the year best pop performer performance by a duo or group with vocals it was uh it was definitely noticed <laughs> yeah they uh, they they got in uh, wh- whoever their uh, their manager was was able to get this thing in the stores for super cheap or uh, at a discount uh, the vinyl and it they had hits on the radio within like three or four weeks of the, of the release of this record it it sold like fucking crazy um, my f- my favorite story though on this is that they tried to do a um, a five point one remaster uh, not too long ago. And uh, what what two songs are they missing? Like the of the masters for? Anyone remember? Yeah, yeah. It was um, Black Cow um, and the title track were missing. 
And Fagin puts out a $600 bounty for info leading to the whereabouts of the missing <laughs> master material. 600 American dollars if you have any information that'll... It's, it's coming to you if you can provide information that will lead to the acquisition of these missing master tapes. A $25 Applebee's gift card and a treasury bond for your bar mitzvah. You're going to name a star after you. <laughs> <laughs> what does that buy anybody at this point in time? Six hundred American dollars. It's ridiculous. Gro- <laughs> Groceries. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I did see that. That's amazing. Let's go around the room. What do you think, John? Yeah, I I gotta admit it. The they got me. Um, I, I didn't think they would get me, but they got me. And honestly not only did they get me but they kept me through the entire album you know every now and again you'd think that they would drop you out you know there's things that i'm not 100 percent on but there's enough little weird bits and like stupid goofs josie is probably my least favorite song on the album and it ends the album i know kyle's just shaking his head but like the lyrics on her are so trite like laying down the law and break it but it's also kind of a fun song like i hate it as much as i like it like it's all about like a girl who comes back to town who maybe got out of prison and is a lot of fun so like (laughs) you know it's it's a oh man the whole album is that way the whole album and the whole band is that way i love them and i hate them so i'm gonna give it a positive yeah what What do you you guys think what do you think ben (laughs) um i don't know if it's that the year's 2020 and I've only been in my own house and this boat music is just falling on my ears really nice. Or maybe it's that I'm in the twilight of my thirties and I just hear songs differently now. But like I said, I, I, I get it now. Um, I like this album. Uh, this album definitely gets a positive from me. I'm going to revisit it. Uh, there's some earworms on here. I, and if a song gets stuck in my head, you know, that's a, even on an album, if it was an album I didn't like, if there's a song that's getting stuck in my head, it's going to make me uh, re- revisit, rethink it. Yeah, I, I I don't got shit on this record. Uh, this is this is a good album, positive for me. Get me Rob. on this boat, Robber. Flip flops, a bag of chips that got a little bit wet. Sandwich <laughs> in a bag, also wet. <laughs> Denim diapers, <laughs> sunscreen, skinny pirates. I dig. Positive. Okay. What do you think, Kyle? Well, first off, I'd like to say I'm sorry, John, that your life is so horrible that you can't <laughs> listen to an album that sounds like tap dancing on sunshine. <laughs> this album is especially Josie. Sorry. I mean, uh, yeah. I understand Yacht Rock. Like, you know, you get on a yacht. You've got the sun shining. You've got the beautiful waters. You want to hear, you know, a perfect sounding drum set doing a weird little <laughs> stick click in the middle of a song you didn't expect. It makes you smile before you jump Trip in the cocktail. water. You know, <laughs> wine coolers. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this, this is a great album. This is a perfect. Fun album. towels. I'm, I'm glad that you, a couple of you guys came around on it. Uh, yeah. Love, love this record. Five stars. <laughs> Boogie board. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. Um, I don't know. Humbling is probably not the right word, but it was. It was a bit of readjusting to listen to this album and be like, "Wow, this is uh, quite 
well done. I think it's it's um it's like an artist or you know going to see a painting by an artist that before you were kind of on the fence and be like, eh, not really like I don't really like his color palette or something like that. And for some reason, there's there's one that you're just like, actually, you, you did it. Like this this happened. Uh, it's still a bit soft. I I won't be putting it on all the time, but I I have to do positive. It's meticulous and so well crafted. I can't I can't deny it. And the recording quality, like I was saying before, it's just astronomically impressive. I, I just can't get over it. Um, I will probably put it on just to test out if I was going to test out a headphones or speakers or something like that. It's it, it's so clear and crisp um, technical that you can like hear all nuances. It's very good for that, I guess, is because it has a, a very, very dynamic in, in the way that it it uh it's a uh, recorded. So, yeah, good job. I was going to. Oh, there's one more thing I was going to say. We are getting to this album does represent this sort of what people would call the golden era of that of recording of the it, we sort of there's sort of a pinnacle there in, in the late 70s where it's uh you're doing tape, you're doing, so it sounds warmer. Um, nobody switched over to computer where it has a, a bit of, it, it starts to sound a little uh, robotic or too clean, I guess, in a way. So uh, I, we're going to get to rumors as well, which is also very well crafted. Um, and we also had, you know, there's all sorts of albums in here around this time that, that we're getting to that pinnacle, that sort of like golden era of recording. It's cool. Man, I'm here for the golden era of recording. Yeah. I, 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 I love the craftsmanship of this era of, of recording. And so the producer, Gary Katz, is this the first we've heard of him on this project? Has he done anything? Because if this is, man, if he was just like lying dormant until now and then comes out with this. No, I mean, he w- he had worked with Mamas and the Papas, Steppenwolf, okay. Three Dog Night, um, and uh, later, I know he did uh, Chaka Khan and Jimmy Buffett. Um, but yeah, he's most famous for Steely Dan. Yeah, well, he did a good job. Can't buy a thrill, uh, Gaucho. Um, oh, he did. He did. Can't buy a thrill. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah then, then we have. Yeah. He has been on this. Yeah. Yeah, he also produced. Um, he was an A and R man later on, but he also produced like Diana Ross, Ten CC, Joe Cocker. Yeah, a lot of other people. Okay. I think cool. he, he was responsible for signing Prince. That's what I remember him from. Oh. And the Dire oh. Straits, Christopher Cross. Yeah, and he worked alongside Jerry Wexler, recording genius. Well, there you go, Gary Katz. Yeah. Good job. Uh, all right, next time we'll be talking about Wire, Pink Flag. Sweet. So Thanks along all. the same vein as this then, right? Yeah. That's cool.